to They're Playing Our Song, the podcast where your song becomes our song. I'm your host, Robert Perry Cruz, and I'm here with my very special guest, Chris Hornbossel. How are you doing, Chris? I'm doing really well. How are you doing today? I'm doing excellent. So today, tonight, whenever you're listening, we're going to be talking about Gimme Shelter by the Rolling Stones from their 1969 album, Let It Bleed. And Chris, I'll be honest, I... Don't know this album, even though I know it's one of the one of the greats out there. So um, you're gonna have to school me a bit. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, I, we can do that. I just, you know, this, this is the second time that uh, you've had me on the show, and I know the first time I was on, I think I may have picked the possibly the most obscure song ever to do. <laughs> so this time around, I wanted to pick. You know, a song, I think it's my choice as the most overplayed, or the best overplayed FM radio classic rock song ever. The best. And, you know, okay. of, of the pan- songs in that pantheon, like Stairway to Heaven and Freebird and mm. Money by Pink Floyd and Bohemian Rhapsody. Oh, yeah. Uh, of all of those songs that are, you know, that you never, ever really need to ever hear again. I actually, I, I think I may have heard Give Me Shelter 10,000 times in my life, and when it comes on, I still want to crank the volume knob up uh, like crazy. So, yeah, so that's what we're going to talk about today. Beautiful. Excellent. I know this song mostly from uh, Rock Band. Um, sure. I think other than that, I I don't I, I, I don't hear it too, too much on the radio. I don't know if it's because just really? different... Different regions. I no, I mean, I, we get a lot of. Um, they play a lot of Steve Miller on some of our classic rock stations in New <laughs> England. I don't one, know. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> we get while well, while well, my guitar gently weeps. We get that a lot. Okay. Um, trying to think what other ones I've heard. A a tri- usually we get some Led Zeppelin. I don't, it's not always Stairway. Sometimes it's um. Oh gee, what's that other? What's their other big big song you hear everywhere? Oh, it, um, it can be, you pick one, a uh, whole lot of love or, uh, but yeah, you know, where I'm from, I'm actually, I'm from the Midwest. I'm from St. Louis originally. So when I mm-hmm. was growing up, it was like some kind of local, I think it was like a local ordinance that a radio station had to be playing Bob Seger like every 20 <laughs> minutes. Like it was just like required. And I'm pretty uh-huh. sure there were, I don't know if you guys had this. Uh, you're from like the Boston area, right? New England. Yep. yep. Okay. I don't, I don't know if you guys had this on your classic FM radio, classic rock FM radio, but it was like an FCC rule that if you played "Love and Touch and Squeeze" and by Journey, you immediately had to play "City of the Angels" right after that. <laughs> and if you played "Heartbreaker" by Led Zeppelin, you immediately had to play "Living Loving Maid." Right. No, I don't, th- I don't think so. Every time you we- could. We have weird really? laws in doing that, so I don't. I, no, no. Really? Either. So, like, you could actually hear one of those songs separate from any of the other ones. As far as I can tell, I mostly <laughs> listened to the alternative stations. Okay, way right. back when, and now, now I feel like a lot of the oldies they're they're playing um, like really late seventies, early eighties, starting to become a bit more of their of their thing, sort of as time progresses. But uh, I get that. We, we still we still get a decent amount of of, of good uh, good classic seventies songs. Uh, not too much from the 60s. I don't think they ever play, like, they never play Beatles. They never play, they play very little Rolling Stones. Sometimes they'll do Satisfaction, but that's, that's it. Like, we wow. really don't get a lot of that. Which, I know it's strange, I, but uh, for some reason, it's not, not what they want to, not what they want to roll out. So, 
my my exposure to very you know many of the the Stone songs. I think uh, "Can't Always Get What You Want," which is on is on on Let It Bleed, right. isn't it? Yep, it is. Now I, I have I have a theory on why you may not be hearing those as much. Okay. Okay. Enlighten me. Um, right up until Let It Bleed, the Rolling Stones. Like, the Rolling Stones had, got, had some kind of publishing deal that kicked in that started on Let It Bleed. Um, and when that started, they decided for themselves they were not going to release any more singles ever. And that held until about, like, 1976. And then they were like, well, we're leaving money on the table here. This is dumb. <laughs> um, and they started putting out singles again. <clears throat> Excuse mm-hmm. me. But so Can't Always Get What You Want actually came out as a single before Let It Bleed, before it showed up as the last song on Let It Bleed. And I think Mm -hmm. it was one of those deals where they just decided, we need another song for this album. And they said, you know what, this song fits, and it's not on any other album. Let's just put it on there. So they did. Mm -hmm. So I think that's why you hear that song. But Gimme Shelter and a lot of other songs, like in that like late 60s, early 70s, Stones mm-hmm. period did not get officially released on a 45 uh, at the time, and they may have gotten released later as part of like soundtracks and singles like that. But at the time, they never actually got that proper, you know, 45 RPM uh, seven inch single release, so they never hit the singles charts. Uh, oh, so that might have some like that may be something to do with like there may be classic old like a an oldie station may mm-hmm. shy away from playing anything that was not an actual proper quote unquote single. Oh, okay. That makes that does that does make sense. And that, that's that's sort of that's what Led Zeppelin did, right? They never right, exactly. they never released singles, it was just there's the album, go. Yeah, kind of, yeah. I mean, how are you gonna get, you know, however many eight minutes of stairway to heaven onto a forty five you know, <laughs> without breaking it up and making it, you know, without having to do edit, edits for it. So oh, yeah. that's true. So, you heard this song a million times, yet you do not dislike it after all that time. So you're gonna have to tell me how has it, how has Gimme Shelter held up under so many listens to for you? Okay, well first let's go back to something you said right at the start of the podcast. Okay, it's the first song on Let It Bleed, mm-hmm. and if you put a gun to my head, which I'd rather you didn't, but if you were <laughs> if if someone hypothetically was to do that. Let It Bleed would probably be my favorite rock and roll album, or at least in the top three ever of all time, if I absolutely, you know, you're going to shoot me if I don't come up with a top three. It's in the top three, at least. Um, I just think it's one of the most perfect, uh, creepy, dark, kind of dangerous-sounding records Mm. And Gimme Shelter leads that album off. So anytime I want to listen to the whole album, the first song I hear is Gimme Shelter. Mm-hmm. And so that's one of the things. But I think also, like, if you are making a documentary or a movie of how turbulent the late 60s were, like if you're doing anything with Charles Manson or mm. Vietnam protests or like uh, the 1968 uh, Democratic Convention in Chicago or Mm. riots or, you know, all of that, you know, all those things that happened in that turbulent time. If you need a music bed for that, 
<laughs> there is none that is more perfect than Gimme Shelter. You know, it's it, mm-hmm. I, to me, it just seems like it, it really is one of the most dangerous, kind of scary sounding songs ever without actually, you know, being overtly scary. You know, it, it's not like a goth song or a hardcore metal song or, you know, mm-hmm. it's not Danzig or the Misfits or anything like It's not <laughs> scary like that. It's more like scary like it, it gets you on kind of a real, like, lizard brain level of survival. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's funny to hear you talk about that because again, like I said, the only time I'd heard this song was so out of out of out of that historical context. So it was like, oh, this is a pretty oh, what a pretty opening, and then I don't know why they're singing about rape and murder or whatever, Rolling Stones, and then uh, you know, kind of in, in getting ready for the show and looking into it and and realizing that that album was considered and was written as a real touchstone to how the sort of hippie generation was turning into. Just you know, all the all the cool counterculture stuff was now becoming the dangerous, unsafe counterculture right, stuff. Right, and exactly. America was kind of heading into malaise. Uh, but how that how 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 uh, let it bleed, and then specifically, Gimme Shelter was sort of leading the way and kind of opening the door for that sound. And all of a sudden, when I hear those initial oohs and the the soft guitar uh, plucks of uh, Keith Richards, yeah, it's it's super scary. All of a sudden, I was like, oh god, ugh, this this, this song doesn't right. mean what I thought it did, yeah, <laughs> which was like- sort of just. Rolling Stones party song? I don't know. Yeah. It's like, welcome to the haunted house. Guess what we, you know, it's kind of like, I, you know, that opening to this song, especially because they're using, if you listen to it, there's a percussion instrument. I think it's Mexican originally. Mm-hmm. It kind of has that scratchy, that, you know, that scratchy sound in the percussion at the start. And it almost reminds me, the effect uh, is of like being on a roller coaster where you're doing that clack, 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 clack as you're going up the first hill. <laughs> and you know, and you're like, here we go, here we go. That's kind of how that opening is for Gimme Shelter. It's mm-hmm. kind of like, okay, up the first hill we go. And, you know, it's, you know, chaos is about to happen. And I, th- well, I think that, that, that undercurrent of, of uh, almost chaos because when I, I I wrote in my notes just listening to the to the music because it's so cohesive, but the I, I referred to it as melodic guitar noodling because it feels like every verse Keith Richards is playing something else. It's never just the same couple chords. He's adding something or he's sort of going off on a little bit of a tangent. So the whole song sounds so much to me like chunks of guitar solo throughout and. And but it still it still holds together really well. But just there's so much, just so much going on in terms of just sheer notes being played. It's 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 very very interesting sound. Yeah, he does a lot of guitar. He actually, um, this is when the this was recorded kind of when the Rolling Stones were between guitar players. Uh, mm-hmm. They fired Brian Jones from the band, and Mick Jones hadn't yet joined up as a full-time member of the group yet. So Keith plays, I don't know how many guitars on this song, but it's a lot because he plays them all. Mm-hmm. And so he's playing a rhythm part that might as well be like a tape loop almost. And then, mm-hmm. like you say, he's doing all this kind of, some of it's bluesy sounding, some of it's almost jazzy sounding, uh, guitar noodling over the top. It's just kind of an interesting mix of styles there. But that's also him playing underneath it, which is also kind of 
cool that he's playing the rhythm part as well. And he, I think he's doing it all onto one track. So I think it's a four track recording. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I just think that this song, like, I think the first time that I really, really, really connected to just how cool it is and how scary it is, is the first time that I was waiting for, when I couldn't leave the house because I had to worry about my uh, something going on at work where I was in charge of things at work so I couldn't leave and there was a blizzard bearing down on the city that I was in and Ooh. you know the blizzard is going to hit and you know there's nothing you can do about it except try to make it affect you less but you know it's going to affect you anyway mm-hmm. and that's kind of like the undercurrent of giving shelter, right? It's not that whatever the storm that's threatening is going to not make its mark on you because it is, you're just trying to make it so that it doesn't destroy you completely. That's Mm -hmm. why you need the shelter. And so (laughs) when you put it in those terms, like, well, this is going to hurt one way or the other, just a matter of trying not to let it, you know, wipe you, wipe you out. And all of a sudden it's like, okay, that's bleak. (laughs) That's what this song is. (laughs) So the message you get from Gimme Shelter is sort of one of, of mitigating the disaster, uh, or at least, at least from the personal perspective that, that you have of it. It's like, you know, you, you got to get shelters from something to at least try to ride it out. Like, it's going right, to be bad, right. but maybe it'll be better. It'll be better than, better than nothing. You know, it could be worse kind of situation. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the, that the opening lines of this song, I think, are the some of the best song lyrics, certainly that Mick Jagger ever wrote. Um, but... Like, most of the time you hear somebody talk about great song lyrics, and when you see them on paper, it's just absolute gobbledygook. You know, like, eh, no. Um, but with giving shelter, that opening line of, a storm is threatening my very life today. If I don't get some mm-hmm. shelter, yeah, I'm going to fade away. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, this is real, you know? It, and that's yeah. even before we get to the parts about, you know, stuff being a shot away. But what is what is what do you take to mean that the 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 shot away? It's just a shot away. I I wasn't sure if that was supposed to be just the idea of it's all it would take is you know the sound of a shot to sort of set off some sort of a, the riot or giant change or shot in terms of like a short distance. I mean, do you have kind of a interpretation of of, I, of what? I think it's. I mean, you got to realize this song was recorded you know, maybe a year after that two-month period of time where uh, Martin Luther King and Robert F. Kennedy Jr., or Robert F. Kennedy, were both assassinated. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So assassination was big. I mean, Malcolm X was assassinated. Martin Luther King uh, was assassinated. Um, You know, RFK was assassinated. Mm. And then... Gosh, like two years after the song comes out, uh, George Wallace is a major candidate for president in 1972, and Mm -hmm. he gets shot and paralyzed, you know, so, you know, there was a lot of shooting going on of fairly prominent people at that point in time, and so when I hear it's just a shot away, to me, it's just, it's like the date, you know, the dam that's holding all this back is going to break, and that's just a shot away. Mm-hmm. 
you know. Oh, yeah. As soon as, you know, it all it takes is one more shot, and then we get to that whole apocalyptic stuff about the rape and the murder. Mm-hmm. Which, okay, so the historical context. I like that. Thanks. I, I didn't even didn't even put that together. That's yeah. awesome. That 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 puts that more into perspective. I usually think of a shot like shot ring out or kind of a gang violence. But yeah, I, that would have been the big concern is if you we just need one more person who could potentially make some changes or you know calm the situation down. But it's just going to take one shot to end that. In that voice, and then we're all and then Anarchy. we're all screwed. Right. Yeah, you know, <laughs> and especially for you know not to get too political about things, but to put it in perspective, then um, you're talking about you know still a fairly segregated society in England and the United States, mm-hmm. where the big worry is you know what's going to happen if we lose. You know, our neighborhood, like our our nice house and our white suburban lawns and, uh, you know, our our neighborhoods that are all carefully marked out and everything else. And this song almost sounds like, you know, it's almost like a direct warning to that suburban middle class existence of, you know, you're you're not safe either. It's just a shot away, you know, Mm -hmm. and then it's like. You know, that kind of gets to that whole existential, okay, this song is really scary and dangerous sounding. <laughs> it's 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 funny that the Rolling Stones, because I always thought of them as being sort of similar, similar to the Beatles in terms of uh, more, you know, like love and happiness. But I, I guess they really, really weren't weren't like that. But they were definitely icons of the 60s and you know, the, not exactly the flower children, but but that sort of artsy, artsy, fartsy 60s scene. And it's really interesting that they, instead of just continuing to down that path, would just so quickly realize, like, oh, things are going bad. Everything is not good. And just sort of flip and then write this album that is so, I don't know if disillusioned's the right word, but just so dark and apocalyptic and willing to admit that things are going to things are not going well and not that they're but they're going to be okay everybody but like they're they're not like things are not good well that and honestly i think the role that mick jagger and keith richards kind of saw saw for themselves is they were stirring the pot i mean they mm-hmm. they they like to see themselves as you know kind of to the devil saying, yeah, you know, not only could this happen, but we want to make sure you know about it. We want you to be scared of it. And we're, you know, we might be agents of this. We're not going to tell you, you know, which obviously sells records. It was probably the reason they did it. But they they openly embraced that, you know, we're going to try to stir this up aspect of things. Mm. (laughs) now you sent you sent me that 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 clip from uh, 20, 20, 20 feet to stardom twenty feet from stardom yeah right yeah uh, it's about all the it, yeah there's a documentary uh, it used to be on Netflix I don't know if it is anymore and it's about all the great backing singers from like Motown and the classic rock era that kind of never really got any credit for the work they did on some some of these songs. Mm-hmm. And and specifically, you sent it to because it had the a clip from Mary Mary Clayton, right? Who was the the female vocalist on on Gimme Shelter? 
Right, yeah. She uh, kind of pretty much almost steals the show here. Um, she kind of comes in on that uh, first chorus and then kind of echoes mix lead vocal all the way through it. And that's all well and good. And then you get to that bridge right towards the very end of the song where she just starts wailing that rape and murder, it's just a shot away line, mm -hmm. just over and over again. And what I think is so cool, and you can see the clip on YouTube, uh, they have her vocal isolated, and the fact that her voice cracks. Mm -hmm. And once you hear it, you can't not hear it in the song ever again. So I'm just going to throw that out there that... You know, once you hear it in that YouTube clip, you'll always hear it every time you hear the full song. But it's just kind of cool that they decided, you know what, that's imperfect, but we're we're going to leave it in. And not only do you hear her voice crack on that clip, on, you know, on that isolated track, you also hear Mick react to it, where Mick just goes, <laughs> woo! <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, man, what just happened there? You know, and that that's just kind of a... I think that's just such a great moment. And, you know, it almost sounds like like this almost like ghostly wailing warning about, you know, here's, you know, this is what could happen. This is what might happen, you know. And yeah. it's just such a cool kind of creepy kind, you know, it's it's unsettling, I guess, is the effect that it creates. Yeah, and there's just so much so much passion yeah and, and then yeah you're right when you hear that crack it you hear it every single time but it's it's a it's in key which is yep. amazing oh, for yeah. <laughs> voice crackers and then b it really just underscores the the you know the, the intensity and the power of of you know what the song is about and you know, yeah yeah I'm, so, I'm so very glad they left that in there like, oh you know mary you, hold on you, you, you do it again because there's no way if they told her like listen your voice cracked you can't she she wouldn't be able to give that much passion in the vocals if she wasn't going to just get that big that you know most likely most people's voice would crack and if they're like oh bring it down so you don't crack and make it sound pretty it, it wouldn't even come close to the 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 intensity it wouldn't come close to the beauty that it that it has in that imperfect as you said that that imperfectness to it yeah there, there's it it like that break in her voice just kind of makes adds that sense of urgency to things, you know, it's just like, you, it's it's one of those moments where you just, yeah, leave, leave it just like that, and I think that that definitely helps, and then the other thing that I think is, there's one other thing that just makes this song so enduring, and I think it's, might be the thing that nobody ever talks about that helps to make this song sound so dangerous, and it's from the least likely guy in the entire band. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the one guy in the Rolling Stones who you wouldn't expect to help make a song sound more dangerous is Charlie Watts. I mean, Charlie Watts has always looked like a guy who should be doing taxes for a living. <laughs> I, you know, he looks like an accountant. He's just yeah, a really nice, normal-looking guy. Uh you know, he, he always looks like he's smirking at Mick and Keith, like he wants nothing to do with whatever those nuts are doing on stage. You know, he's always like, yeah, okay, whatever, guys. You you guys are funny. You know, it's almost like he's smirking at him, like kind of half amused, kind of not. 
But Charlie Watts is, you know, one of the great drummers in rock and roll. And one of the reasons he is that is he probably more, he and another drummer, Al Jackson Jr. of Booker T and the MGs, are in the all-time list, and there's nobody else close for being able to hit a snare drum exactly perfectly. And I didn't know this until I was talking to a drummer friend of mine, mm-hmm. but he said, you know, the snare drum is the rock drum. That is, you know, that is the rock and roll drum. You know, all the other drums are just there to help the snare drum out. But on a snare, on every snare drum ever made, there's like one tiny little area, and it, sometimes it's the middle of it, but sometimes it's a little off-center, and it's usually no bigger than maybe an inch or a half inch in diameter. Mm-hmm. But that's like the pocket, and when you hit that particular spot on a snare drum, it makes a sound like it doesn't make when you hit any other spot on the drum. And Charlie Watts, he always hit that spot on a snare drum. And that's important because when they were recording drums back then, like now, you know, if you have a band, you go into the studio, they'll spend, you know, half a day just miking the drums to get the right drum sound. And every drum has its own microphone and its own Mm -hmm. sensor. But back then, they just stick a micro, you know, two microphones in the area, in the general area, and say, "Go ahead and play." <laughs> and the only way you could get the drums to sound like anything at all, no, you know, number one, most drummers when they hit the snare drum, they're just like doing a wrist snap, you know, mm-hmm. so they can hit it really quick. But Charlie Watts used to actually lift up his whole arm and bring it smashing down on that snare drum, so he could get it to sound kind of loud. Mm-hmm. And he always kind of maybe looked down or cheated a little bit to make sure he was hitting it in that perfect space on the drum, on the snare. Yeah. And so the unintended effect of doing that is that it slows him down on the beat when he hits the snare. He's never quite exactly right on the 2-4, the 1-3, or whenever the beat is where he's supposed to be hitting the snare. He's always just a fraction of a second late, and it may not be anything that you notice. Like, if you're counting it off, you may not notice it, but when you hear it, there's a part of your subconscious brain that hears it and compares it to other songs and says, wait a minute, there's something wrong there. You know, there's something that's lagging. There's something that's a little bit late. Mm-hmm. And so the net effect is with a drummer who's coming in just a little bit late on a beat, on a snare, is that it kind of makes the whole song sounds like, sound like it's about to fall apart. And you get that so much <laughs> with a lot of, sto- you get that so much with so many Stone songs where the song itself almost has that kind of like you're leaning back in your chair and you almost fall over backwards, but you just catch yourself in time. <laughs> that's like every that's like every great stone song ever has that feeling of like a red light or a yellow light that's about to turn red and you stop on the accelerator and just barely make it through the intersection that feeling of you know man just made it and Ooh. you know i think it's that cool it creates that cool sense of you know unconsciously you hear 
a song like Gimme Shelter and you're like, this song's about to fall apart. You know, this song's about to go, come, you know, break into pieces. And then it doesn't. And it doesn't because Bill Wyman, the bass player in the Rolling Stones, knew exactly how to play along, like knew that that's what Charlie Watts was doing. And so he would adjust to him. And the effect would be you would get this almost swinging sound, you know, this like mm-hmm. swaying sound to even Rolling Stone songs. Um, and I just think it's really cool that I think that's like subconsciously really kind of adds to the dangerous um, sound of the entire song. Is that it wow. sounds like it's kind of falling apart, but it doesn't quite. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. I, I, I like how you describe it as uh, the band really working together to keep the that you know that that half second off drum beat from Charlie's drums, not making it sound sloppy or like oh you don't know how to play the drum like putting it together and, and giving it a distinctive distinctive sound that works really really well in in their song but you know very specifically today in, in Give Me Shelter that's that's really that's that's nice I, I think a lot of bands don't don't really complement each other that way. Right, these days. right. Well, they, you know, something like that would definitely be cleaned up in the studio these days. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, and, you know, kind of to take this back to you knowing this song from Rock Band, um, one of the ways that you really hear on Gimme Shelter how Bill Wyman kind of compliments Charlie Watts' drum playing is on the chorus the chorus, mm. he hits, there's, the chorus is actually a series of eighth notes, if you count it out. It's that wampa, 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 whack sound, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the signature of the song is it's, you know, uh, you know, it's just a shot of, you know, children, you know, it's just a shot away. It's just a shot away. And while Mick and uh, Mary Clayton are singing that. The band is doing that wampa, 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 whack sound. Mm-hmm. And each one of those wamps is a snare drum. And if you count them off, they're eighth notes, you know, one and two and three and four. But Charlie Watts slows them down and plays them so slowly that they're not quite full notes. Mm-hmm. But they're slower than eighth notes. And Bill Wyman, who's been playing bass, where he's just doing bass runs all over the place for the verse, stops right there and just plays the exactly the same thing the guitars are playing. And so what it kind of sounds like, to me at least, it always puts me in the mind of like a chugging locomotive, like a train. And so it makes this song almost sound like this train that's running downhill where nobody's really, nobody's steering it, nobody can stop it. Like, not, nobody even in the band can stop it. You know, it's got that, you know, that chug, that chugga, chugga, chugga sound. And mm-hmm. it's like, you know, don't get in the way of this thing or it's going to run you over. You know, that's kind of what Giving Shelter is like. It's like, don't get in the way of this song. Just, you know, here it comes. Now, do you, I mean, do you think when when uh, Keith Keith Richards and Mick Jagger wrote this song, they expected it to become more than their own personal reflection on the time? That it would become the cliched song that if there's something changing or something seems bad, you play "Gimme Shelter." I mean, do you think they had, do you think they had any inkling that this this was going to be a touchstone, or or that they even wanted it to be that? 
I, you know, maybe it, it's certainly possible. I mean, at this point in their career, they're going through a lot of crazy stuff in their own world. Um, you know, Keith is worried. You know, Keith, I guess, had been busted for there was some kind of raid at a house where at Keith's house, I guess. And he had been busted for drugs and was worried that he might be going to jail. And, you know, Brian Jones was one of the founding members of the Rolling Stones and he was falling apart and they had decided to fire him um, mm-hmm. from the band, which, you know, that can't be ever be an easy thing to do. So they have all these kind of weird and crazy things going on in their personal lives. So, you know, I don't know, maybe at some stage the song started out almost as them, you know, plus, you know, they must have been, you know, right on the cusp of turning 30 at that point or, you know, in their late 20s. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe that had something to do with also, you know, sensing that change in themselves. But, you know, I guess... You know, the recurring image of the song, the other recurring image is always going to be um, this famous documentary that was filmed of the Rolling Stones on the tour for Let It Bleed in 1969. Um, And the the documentary is actually called Gimme Shelter. Yeah, the the uh, the Altamont, right? right it's, in the Hell's Angels. It's the one that ends at Altamont, and they're actually not playing "Gimme Shelter" when you see uh, the audience member uh, Meredith Hunter killed, you know, out in front of the stage. Mm-hmm. Um, they're actually, I think it's they're playing "Under My Thumb," if I'm remembering the scene correctly. But mm-hmm. it's such a chilling, like it's impossible to divorce. That documentary and Altamont and everything else, it's kind of tough to divorce all of that from, you know, what Gimme Shelter is, is a song. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it, it happens. I, when, when was that movie? came out pretty soon after the album, right? It was like 70, 71? Yeah, it was like right? 71, something like that. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, definitely. It was so like a year or two later. So to have a have a... Have a, have a movie that is about the Rolling Stones, and they're having this big free concert. I guess was that. I guess maybe that was a thing back then. Big free concert. Yeah, yeah. Nobody you know, thought it was, it was, that was a great it was, idea. <laughs> they 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 didn't. Uh, apparently, they had a chance to play Woodstock and turned it down because they didn't think it was going to be anything. And then Woodstock earlier in the year was this huge thing. And they thought, well, we want to do our version of Woodstock, and so that's kind of what Altamont was. Oh. Uh. It was kind of, it was kind of their ego, in a big way, tied up in that. It, that's it's re- that's really weird though to think about Woodstock as being so close to that because that's such a happy, peaceful. It's almost the the culmination of of every everything that you you know one thinks about when they think about the '60s and peace and love. And then what? Two years later, a year later, whatever it was, Six they months. have this concert. It was, it was only six months, and I feel like that's the exact flip side of like, hey, remember how it was peace and love? No, it's over. Stop. You know, everyone's on drugs, and it's bad because you do stupid things, and you get murdered by bikers, and yeah, you yeah. can't have anything fun anymore, everybody. It's over. Mom and dad are here. It's time to grow up. Everything sucks. In six right, months. Between, oh, my God. 
between Woodstock in early in earlier in 1969 and the end of 1969, you have the Manson murders in Los Angeles, and you have Altamont. You know, <laughs> I, I, I hope you enjoyed that. And, you know, six weeks of thinking that uh, the counterculture was had all the answers back then, kids, because <laughs> that, that all came crashing down in a big old hurry. <laughs> you know, those hippies are like, oh, how embarrassing. Oh, God, sorry, everyone. <laughs> this was a mistake. We apologize. <laughs> it, it's, the, the other thing, though, uh, about, you know, Let It Bleed as an album, we were talking earlier about you can't always get what you want. Mm-hmm. That song is, it's the last song on the album, and that's almost like, you know, the sun coming up in the morning after the turbulent night, but the rest of the, like, I don't know, like, giving shelter is the start of, of, you know, this, you know, this horrible evening, you know, this horrible night, and, you know, then it's, you know, into the, into the fun house and into the haunted house with the Rolling Stones, and it ends with, you know, that, uh, London Symphony Choir singing and, you know, a real gentle melody and everything else that, uh, you know, and kind of an uplifting message with you can't always get what you want uh, that isn't there at all. It's kind of like, you know, that's like the song that finally lets you up off the ground Mm -hmm. at the end of that. That's always good to end with something slightly optimistic, I guess. Well, yeah, because I, 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 it almost, I almost think that like on "Gimme Shelter," the Rolling Stones even tried to end that song on an upbeat note, and, with the, and with then the decided, "Love Sister," and it's just a kiss away. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, because if you listen to it, they replace it's just a shot away with it's just a kiss away. Mm-hmm. And at first, when you first think about it, you're like, "Oh, that's nice." Mm-hmm. And then when you put it in the context of the rest of the song and the way Mick kind of sings those lines, all of a mm-hmm. sudden you realize, hmm, now what other kids might they be referring to in history? And all of a sudden oh. you're like, okay, they're they're talking about a Judas kiss right there. And, yeah, sure, it's just a kiss away. You know, it's kind of like... I don't know. You're in the afterlife, and you've gone you've gone to hell, and the devil is showing you your cell, and he's laughing at you, and he's like, "It's just a kiss away," you know. And it's like, <laughs> "Yeah, thanks, great, and, and, you know, thanks for thanks for that, dude," you know. <laughs> so it's almost like Mick enjoying kind of playing this devil figure there at the end of the song. Oh well. You know, Chris, uh, so Gimme Shelter uh, is super depressing. It uh, killed all the hippies. Uh, it, 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 it brought us, you know, the malaise of the 70s. I don't know. I don't know how you're going to sell it as, as our song because it's super depressing. I'm sad now. You made me so sad. Oh, no. It's, it shouldn't. It, it's, it's, I like it because it's, it's got that edge to it, you know. Rock should always have the edginess to it, you know. All the other classic rock songs are like ten minutes long, and the lyrics don't make any sense. And you know, all those songs are so long, and they're sheltered. Give it four minutes, and it'll kind of scare the pants off you. But in another way, it's kind of like being in the funhouse. You know, you can always leave the funhouse, and now. You know, 30, 40 years later, 
it's more of an entertaining thing, and it makes the song sound more enduring. Okay. So, <laughs> I mean, you're. I mean, I do. I do like the idea of rock and roll should have should have an edge. It shouldn't just be about girls, and it shouldn't just be about happy melodies. There should be something a little dangerous to it, and. I think uh, the way you described all the fun, the fun house of Gimme Shelter really that really does make it our song. Oh, well, I don't think it needs to be <laughs> our song, though. Yeah, I don't know if it needs to be ours, though. I feel like it's been licensed a trillion times. So, right, right. It's your song. I was looking, the, the Wikipedia has like, and, and Gimme Shelter has been used in the following things. And I think. I think Goodfellas and The Departed both used Gimme Shelter yep. at some oh, yeah. point. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Martin, trust Martin Scorsese. He'll never let you down. <laughs> uh, well, Chris, thanks so much for coming coming back on the show. It's really nice to, to, to have you. I had some cheesy notes about, uh, you know, pretty music. I definitely love that you always have some inner workings of the band themselves, you know, some real juicy bits there. So thank you so much for that. It's awesome. Oh well, sure, and uh, yeah, I, it, it you know it definitely has some very pretty guitar parts, and I love that they're over some very dark music. <laughs> uh-huh. So, so uh, you, I, I know Chris, you do you do writing, you've done writing sometimes, you've done some of your some writing on music. Have you done anything recently the, that you wanna wanna share? Um, unfortunately, no. I've been so very, very busy uh, working with a couple of uh, contracts that I have that I haven't gotten around to it, and I know that I need to, and I probably will, but unfortunately, um, nothing right yet, but possibly soon, uh, maybe for uh, Bill Harris at Dubious Quality. Uh, at his blog there, perhaps. Okay. Well, I appreciate that even even with busyness, you took the time out of your day to talk some uh, talk some music with me on the show because it's always great having you. I uh, always I always love music geeking out, and I, I I love the podcast so much. Oh, Chris, you're so nice. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's great. I'm so shocked when people say if they're like, I tolerate your show, Rob. I'm like, oh, really? Thank you. <laughs> no, no, it's fantastic. It's really good. I oh, it, it is in my weekly podcast rotation. Oh, you're not just talking about the episodes you did, right? Just nope. yeah, there's other episodes. Nope. <laughs> uh, I'm actually not quite caught up yet. I just finished the uh, White Stripes episode. Uh, oh, yeah, fell, the uh, fell in love with the girl uh, last yeah. week and fell in love with the girl, which was awesome. And uh, I'm looking forward to the Schubert episode uh, with mm-hmm. Gordon Cameron. And then I think the last one that I haven't listened to is the most recent one up until this point when we're recording this uh, on Melissa Etheridge. So uh, <laughs> looking forward to it. It's, I, I can't wait. Oh, good. Well, thanks. Thank you for all the you, – you plugged the, the show that you're currently on, Chris. I appreciate that. Thank <laughs> you. You made my, made my job even easier. <laughs> It's a great uh, show. Well, you should listen. Oh. You should subscribe. <laughs> yes. yes, please. And they're playing our song on iTunes. Or follow us on uh, Twitter at, what am I, playing underscore our song and the Facebook page and all that jazz. Um, but, uh, Chris, I'm going to share the, the link you, if, if folks who don't go to the page, playingoursong.net, uh, please, you know, every Monday before the show goes up, we have links to the songs. You can purchase them, lyrics, music videos. But I, I am going to link the uh, clip you sent me from YouTube of... Um, of uh, Mary, man, what was what's her last? Mary Jones? No, not Mary Jones. 
my nerve coming away from Mary Clayton uh, discussing the song, yep. and then yeah, like you said, has that isolated audio uh, where she's just she's just belting it out, and you can definitely hear that uh, Mick Jagger woo, you know, <laughs> in the in the background. <laughs> right. Love so that'll woo. be on. Yeah, so that'll be on there too. Uh, well, um, yep, and like Chris said, totally love my show, and uh, subscribe, and write me iTunes reviews, and you know what? Email me at rob at playingoursong.net if you've enjoyed this conversation and want to have one of your own about a song of your choice, because otherwise I just have to keep picking songs or bothering Chris and making him come back on my show. <laughs> that works, too. Yes, that works for me, too. I actually don't mind too much. So so don't email, I guess. And we'll just, no, we'll definitely email. So I, I don't want to listen to me. I, I like listening to other people, too. <laughs> All right. Well, Chris, thanks again so much for coming back on the show. Your standing invitation, is, as you know, something else pops up in your head. You let me know. I will. Uh, for everyone else at home, thanks for listening. Uh, come back next week for another episode. But until then, remember, it's your song. So play it long and play it loud. Bye. Bye.